Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm Elliot Moss and my guest today is Tom Warner, co-founder and director of Warner's, the award-winning farm-grown gin brand. After growing up on a cattle farm and studying at an agricultural college, Tom took on jobs running a coffee-buying operation in East Africa and then in the UK with Fresca, the produce importer. But his dream to return to his family farm took hold. As he says, we originally planned to use the two hectares to grow botanicals for essential oils. Then we thought we can make booze. That's way more exciting. I'm very excited to talk to Tom. Any man that's thinking like that is my kind of man. Tom's wife, Tina, came from a family of potato farmers who since built the successful Kyo's Crisp brand out of Ireland. And with Tina and their friend, Sean Edwards, they co-founded Warner Edwards in 2012. Sean stepping down in 2016. We make gin the authentic way, Tom says. It's dirty hands, hard work, full hearts, a deep love of the land and a respect for our community. The brand continues to push the boundaries of the spirits industry, producing what they call graft gin in high-effort small batches, infused with farm-grown ingredients and no synthetic flavours. We'll talk to Tom in a couple of minutes about all of this, and we've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Nancy Wilson, Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. That, ladies and gentlemen, is today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Youngblood Brass Band with Eric Owen. That was the Young Blood Brass Band of Eric Owen. Very good it was. Two, Tom Warner. Is hello. my business show, but hello, hello. I like farmers. <laughs> they just, they're just like you're, you're immediately. Tom's here. He's like, he's, he feels like he's been here for about three weeks. Grounded just, and earthy, very grounded and earthy. Yeah. What is it about farmers? Seriously, I mean, you married a farmer or a farmer's daughter? Yeah, married a farmer. I, I think that's probably the incest of going to an agricultural college where everybody's from a farm. So you something to do. With it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and uh, it, it's a way of life. You know, it's not easy growing up on a farm because you are working from a very early age mm. uh, in uh, climatic uh, conditions, so it can be a very snowy early morning and your dad has you out of bed. It's four o'clock in the morning and you're having to get sheep out of a field that's full of very heavy snow and you don't want the sheep getting trapped in snow. Just it's that kind of stuff you have to deal with from an early age, so, you know, you work hard, but it's a rewarding, you know, a wholesome... Because you grow up in, in in the countryside, so I was blessed in a way. You know, even though you have to do that work, I built so many different tree houses and dens, and you know, played in all the hedgerows around the farm and all that. So it's it's a fantastic Enid Blyton slash semi slavery upbringing as a farming <laughs> child. <laughs> the semi slavery, but I don't believe you. I mean, that, but but it's early mornings, isn't it? Yeah, definitely early mornings. Uh, it de- again, it depends on the type of farming that you're sure. doing and the seasonality that goes along with that, but. Probably dairy's the worst because that's can we we weren't dairy, but dairy consistently you are up at you know you're milking at five a.m. every day. You have to do that, otherwise there's milk all over your field because you need the cows are full of milk, so you've got to get it out of them. So yeah, farming is 
you can't have a day sick, you can't put it off. If the work is on, however you're feeling or whatever you're doing, you've got to get it done. And, and was your your father and that generation the first of the farming? Thing uh, my dad. So uh, farming's been in my family for generations. Um, the farm that we're at now, my grandfather bought in the 50s. So I'm third generation on that farm now. My dad's still running it. He thinks he's 21 still. He's a lot older than that. He doesn't like uh, people to mention how old he is. He still thinks he's 21. There's no fuse there. Very proud of what we're doing, but can go from proud to explosively angry with us getting in the way <laughs> at the drop of a sort of hat, um, which is quite a fun work dynamic. I'm sort of the the mediator a lot of the time between the business and dad uh, and keeping him calm. You've got brothers and sisters? Yeah, got a brother um, and uh, he, he works on the farm a bit, but he also has got his own thing. He's always been keen at driving. He loves driving any vehicle he can get his hands on, so he does a bit of lorry driving, uh, etc. So it's all good fun. So you can't imagine, here we are in London at the moment, at the heart of Jazz FM, the thought of you being in a business like, you know, in an office and all that stuff, has it ever... No, you know, I uh, grew up on the farm, went to agricultural college. Yeah. You, you still, you don't really, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. You know, we're still on the journey, aren't we? None of us really do know what we ever want to do. Went to agricultural college, ended up um, buying coffee in East Africa for a bit, so working with farmers, but different parts of the world. Uh, came back to the UK and got into produce, so again, working with farmers, but all around the world, uh, and uh, importing fruit that you can't grow in the UK, so bananas, pineapples grapes, citrus fruit, etc. Um, it's a great industry full of lots of Greg Wallace-type characters, Baraboys, you know, broad shoulders, lots, lots of personality. And uh, you've got to be robust because the product you're moving is dying. You know, you're shipping millions of pounds worth of fruit that's already in its rotting. As soon as you harvest something, it mm. is degrading. So it's about slowing that process down as much as possible, moving it as quickly as possible, and then the customer you're selling it to are supermarkets in the UK. That's the volume player. Um, it's a commodity. They're trained in hostage negotiation. So you've got a very stressful customer. You've got a very stressful product. Because you work very hard and sort of... Um, I did that for a decade, but three years before leaving, started looking at starting something from working as hard as we were working before ourselves um, my friend Sean that you mentioned at the start and I uh, and Tina uh, and Sean's wife Paula we were we were talking about different things that we could do and it was really underpinned with farm diversification and we didn't wake up and say we're going to start a gin distillery that's what everybody's done in the last three years because there's a gold rush in gin at the moment and Bit of a bun fight, and I, and I think people should probably really consider hard whether they do want to do that at the moment because there's a big oversupply. But when we were looking at this, gin wasn't the the, the category that it is at the moment, um, and independent distilling wasn't a thing. So we're looking at probably I don't know thirty or forty different business ideas, and you know, we kept churning different idea, fag packet feasibility, size of market, who you can sell it to, profit margins, and one of the penultimate ideas or the penultimate idea was growing floral crops distilling them to extract the essential oils and then selling the essential oil to the end customer or to perfume manufacturers, soap manufacturers, that type of thing. So we're looking at this, we can, right, you grow the crop, extract the oil, what do you do with the still for the rest of the year? You can make booze. Why are we talking about flowers? Let's make booze. And we're going to stop right there because that is the beginning of the story of now this £10 million plus business that you've got called Warner's Gin. Stay with me as I have a lovely chat with my friend Tom here, Tom Warner, who's the uh, co-founder of the Warner's Distillery Business. It's time for more music right now. This don't go anywhere. It's Nancy Wilson with Ode to Billy Joe.
It was the third of June, another sleepy, dusty Delta day. That was Nancy Wilson, Ode to Billy Joe, which, embarrassing, I hadn't heard. And Tom here's going, singing along. Yeah, it's a great song. Brilliant song. It, yeah. Anyway, Tom, we're talking about gin. You got to the point where you said, well, we're going to grow some oils. We kind of thought we could do the sell, sell them onto the perfume yeah. world or whatever it might be. And then we went, let's make some booze. Yeah, we did. And I, I always like to say that alcohol is obviously literally intoxicating. Mm. But as an industry, it's intoxicating. And the more you look into it, and if you think of it, it's... It's celebration, it's getting dressed up, it's going out with your friends, it's Saturday nights, it's staying in, relaxing, unwind. It's a joyful, it's the, it's the thing that's got us on the dance floor for the last 10,000 years. It's almost this biblical, awesome liquid. Um, so we start digging into it, we get very excited. Um, first business plan, we were going to distill everything, so rum, whiskey, vodka, tequila, brand, you know, you name it, and then you learn more. And we almost had what I like to describe as infantile sort of... Uh, unbridled uh, ambition because we didn't know the risks and we didn't know all of the equipment that you needed. So we just approached it um, as a blank piece of paper. Well, as I was going to ask possible. you, it must have been a bit like doing chemistry GCSE or something. I mean, you yeah, had to go, learn a lot, yeah, yeah for I mean, sure. And, and so when you were doing that, did you? were there lots of people that you had to consult with to ensure that you yeah. actually just knew the basics? Yeah, for sure. And, and you've got to do all this on the side of day jobs. So it's evenings and weekends and clandestine phone calls, etc. Visiting distilleries, reading books, talking to anyone that's got any relevance that you can sort of glean information from. We bought what anyone can buy online and shouldn't do what we did because they are ornamental stills, but you can go and buy these very small... They're Alembic stills, the original type of still that came in from the Middle East during the spice trade, and that's how distillation started in Europe. But they, they're called Alembic stills, and you can get sort of one litre, two litre, three litre versions of these that we were buying vodka and literally herbs and spices from the spice aisle in supermarkets and attempting to make gins and tune into it that way. So that's how we started at home with a gas hob, doing that. Um, probably highly dangerous doing it that way. And sort of a version of, I, I can just picture, it's all like Breaking Bad. Yeah, Breaking I mean, Bad, a very middle class Breaking the Bad. The Warners basically. are at it. They went to Agriculture College and this is what it's all about. <laughs> absolutely. So you tune into it, the liquids you make that way are absolutely horrific, but you start to understand and we realised early on that we... We had to focus. We couldn't make all those different spirits. And actually, we weren't going to be able to make aged spirits because we did this on a shoestring. So it was bootstrapped ourselves. We we didn't have a lot of cash. We're mid-recession. Banks aren't lending. The, the, the third time we saw HSBC, and we went around all the banks about three or four times each one. Third time we saw HSBC, we got a, a loan for 21000 back then. Everything else was funded out of our pockets, our savings, anything we could beg, borrow, and steal from sort of family. We weren't going to be able to withstand putting something in a barrel and aging it for three years. So whiskey, that type of stuff was off. Left us with white spirits. Vodka was four times the size of gin. So we're looking at vodka. But in my opinion, and this could cause outrage in the uh, in the booze fraternity, but quite possibly the most boring spirit you can consume because it has no taste, flavour or aroma. Um, so we use vodka primarily to make soft drinks alcoholic. So in nightclubs late at night, by the bucket, we're drinking vodka Red Bull, vodka Coke, vodka Orange, etc. And all we want is the alcohol from it. We're not drinking it because of flavour. Gin, you're creating a recipe. It's got that soul, you know, it's 
it's, I grew up with a mum that was a home ec teacher and a farmer's wife, and a, she loved cooking and she grew herbs in her garden. Tina's mum is a is a trained chef and had a cookery school. So all of the the foody love that we have, I you know I worked in the produce and and food industry all of my career. So flavour, food, uh, variety, you know, it's it's in us. And I like to say that our gin business is inviting the world for drinks and dinner every night with homemade products. And let me just ask you one more thing before we um, hear from one of our programme partners at Michigan Direct. When did you sell your first bottle? What year? 2012. 2012, the very first bottle went, and where where was it sold? Uh, At the distillery. We had the local Made in Northamptonshire food group uh, there for their AGM, and uh, 30 local food producers, bars and restaurants came, and we sold our first bottle on that day. We'd finished bottling at 3am the night before. We had big bags under our eyes. It was all big crescendo of getting the wheels turning and uh, yeah we were off and running we sold 300 bottles before christmas look at the way um, i can't tell you the way he looks right now he's like he's like the proud dad that's produced <laughs> the first batch stay with me for much more from my business shaper it's the brilliant tom warner emotion bomb you said what, the, passion the, bomb passion bomb not an emotion bomb you can be an emotion bomb he's a passion bomb as his team call him and you, you're hearing why that is lots more coming up from him but as i said uh, now time for some words of advice for your business from one of our partners at mishkon Dere. My name's Sharon Tan. I'm a partner in the employment team at Mishcon Dorea. One of the questions that I'm asked by clients most frequently is, how do I deal with somebody who is underperforming? It's a very difficult thing, actually, this to get right, and it crops up very frequently in practice. And the reason it's difficult to get right is that it's very difficult often for people to acknowledge that they aren't performing. We all find it very, a very difficult thing to admit, even to ourselves. And, of course it's very important to make sure that you handle things in a legally compliant manner whenever you are dealing with these issues. But I think it's as important to bear in mind that you are dealing with a human being because in practical terms, what I have seen is that people are much more likely to sue, litigation is more likely to materialise and unhappiness on all fronts is likely to result if people feel that they haven't been treated fairly properly and appropriately in the circumstances. So the two really go hand in hand and I think that is critical as a point to bear in mind whenever you are managing somebody who you don't think is coming up to scratch. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. You can enjoy our full Jazz Shapers archive and you can indeed listen to this programme again with Tom if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Or indeed, you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers, and there you'll find many of my recent guests. But back to today, it's Tom Warner, co-founder and director of Warner's, the award-winning farm-grown gin brand. Went back to those first 300 bottles, December the 6th, you said 2012. 12. Here we are now. How many bottles do you sell on a year, um, So it, it, it goes up every year. Um, Just give or take. Give me a rough it, idea. Give or take. We're, 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 we're heading on towards a very large number now. Um that's the first time you've been coy, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Thousands, the, the, lots. The, yeah, lots. Uh, and, and the issue, the reason why I'm coy is there is um, a misconception that scale um, means that you've compromised or it's not craft anymore. Mm. And I know that there are brands that we are now bigger than in the UK, which are made in a horrific way and pretend to be craft. And we know that the context of our business has always been use the best process the best ingredients and the best equipment. And if you do all of those three things, one, you will get the best liquid, but you also end up with a fantastic narrative behind every product. So doing that, we've created a lot of firsts for the category. We launched with a London dry gin that we call Harrington Dry, which is the name of the village. 
now one of the most awarded gins on the planet. And after we've so we'd sold 300 bottles, we were three weeks old. Um, a guy called David T. Smith, who was sort of a very big influencer in the gin category. Fantastic guy, wears a lot of tweed, big beard, likes to wear a monocle, so obviously knows what he's talking about. He was one of the biggest gin bloggers influencers in the world. And he goes around the world giving talks on gin and judging in various uh, competitions. Um, voted us then as his second greatest gin of all time. Out of the 405 gins he'd reviewed at that point, we went in at number two. And I said, David, what's number one? Uh, and he was like, well, it's the original Boodles that hadn't been made in 30 years. So there's a relaunch of that brand now, but this was, a, it was I think it's made differently now. But So the original Boodles, so technically we were number one. I was like, this is amazing. Hairs on the back of your neck type stuff. You know, we're three weeks old. David T. Smith, that probably no one really knew who he was, but I used that to get a meeting with the Fortnum and Masons buyer, which was February or March 2013. Um, he spent three uh, uh, or 30 minutes telling me that we'd missed the gin bubble. It had already happened. Uh, we were a bit late to market, and I was like, okay, okay, yeah, just taste the gin. He wanted exclusivity uh, for London, uh, and I said, we, you can't have exclusivity, but if you list it quickly, you've got it, because we're not stocked anywhere else, so let's go. Got it into Fortnum. Once you're in Fortnum's, then you phone every um, shop in the country saying, hi, I'm Tom, I make gin on my farm, and Fortnum and Mason stock it. The difference then to now, we did this when independent distilling wasn't a thing. So when you phoned an independent wine shop in 2013 and said, hi, I, I make gin on my farm, there'd be a 15 minute of, what, what, what do you mean? Is it safe? Is it legal? This is moonshine. Do the government know HMRC? Now you start a craft distillery. And it's, oh yeah, great. Yeah, local craft distillery, get it. Let me ask you though, just it's a, a quick question before we go to Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Let me ask you, how did you make it taste so good? Just in simple terms, I know you, you, you talked about your mum and indeed one of the gins is yeah. named, named after your mum as well, who sadly passed away yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. So obviously a, a big influence on you but and, and your wife's family as well. But how did you just do it? Because that sounds like either luck or genius or a bit of both. I mean, I think, it isn't easy. I love gin. Yeah. But some gins are just not good. How did you know that it was what to do? Luck. <laughs> I think success turns luck into genius. We experimented a lot around the kitchen table every Saturday for four and a half months. And we did that with a thing called distillate. So we didn't have the still yet and we didn't have the cash flow that when the still arrived and we quit our jobs and we started the business to do a huge amount of experimentation. So we needed to tune in to that recipe really quickly before the still arrived. And we did that with a thing called distillates, which are individually distilled botanical flavours that we got from a friend of mine that worked for a flavouring company. So juniper concentrate in alcohol, cardamom concentrate in alcohol, 50 of them that we blended together. Um, and we could use those to work out lots of different recipes very, very quickly. We would try them every Saturday, you know, hard job, someone's got to do it. But we, it was like throwing darts at a dartboard. board. And, you know, the more you throw, the closer you get to the bullseye. So we tuned in that way just by trial and error of lots of different recipes. Once we'd got close to our recipe, that was we knew the strength of those distillates, so that we knew how much um, uh, sort of organic material that would require in the still, uh, and, and off we went. And we've refined since then because we always say the next batch is the best batch. No, but um, I, like, I like the notion of throwing darts at the board because I think that's basically new product development. Let's oh, stay. Yeah, we're sure. going to come back to that because yeah. I want to talk to you about how you read the market taste, as it were. Time for music right now. Before we go back to more from uh, my business shapes, that's Tom Warner. It's Tony Bennett, as I built earlier, and Lady Gaga singing their take of "Anything Goes." <laughs> In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked down as something shocking. Now heaven knows, 
good authors too Who once knew better words Now only use four letter words Writing prose Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga, Anything Goes. Tom Warner's my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers, and we've been talking about trial and error, MPD. In those early years, Tom, you did everything. and you've, you've made that patently clear. There was no way around it. If you weren't doing it, it wasn't going to happen, along with the team, obviously, and the small team now. I went on the website, as I always do um, before I meet people. I just want to get a vibe for the business, if there is one. There's lots of smiling people jumping up and down, looking very happy, very healthy Sort of like you, you know, that lovely yeah, yeah. that lovely complexion that a, a person that spends a lot of time outdoors has, even if it's cold and it's England. How many people are in the business now, including the dog? Including the dog, 55. 54 without the dog. Yeah. If you go online, you'll see you'll see the little doggy, which is your chief... Leia, executive morale officer. Executive yeah. morale officer. I knew that was, it was great. Little Leia, lovely, sweet, little-looking dog. Those people have a hard task mastering you, even if you're ebullient and fun and all that. You know how you want everything to work. How does that play on a daily basis? How do you temper that, if you will, so that you get the best out of them? That is something that we're doing a lot of work on at the moment because the, the team's exploded. So we've, we came into 2019, I think, with 27 people in the business. So a year on, we've doubled in terms of the workforce. Um, my wife and I run the business together. We have very different management styles. Mine is a lot looser uh, than hers, let's say. <laughs> no. uh, mine's come on over the top, everyone. <laughs> Follow me, let's go. Um, but also then try and prod everything and, and, and get involved where I shouldn't. And what's Tina's um, style? Tina's, Tina did a decade in private equity investing in businesses. So her... Her view, like helicopter view, structure, process, organisation, and actually managing people. I'm learning a lot from her. I think we, we learn a lot from each other. I like to please people and high energy, but I'm rubbish at having the hard conversations. She is, and she hates it because she, she ends up doing more of what she classifies as the boring stuff, but I classify that as probably the more important business, day-to-day stuff. And she's phenomenal at having those hard conversations that need to be had. And the amount of times where if I could go back where things have gone wrong in the business and it's because we didn't address an issue there and then because we're probably being a bit too nice. And so a lot of learnings for me there. But culture's really important. I like to say it's a cult um, the business. <laughs> and, I, and I say to every employee when they start on their first day, you know, just remember, whatever you throw at this business, it will lap it up. It will leave you crying in a ball on the floor and ask for more. So I always say, just be careful because it just has the ability to absorb. And why is that? Because throw. people just get into it so much and they yeah, just want to do the, the passion, best. the energy. They want to do the best. I think because Tina and I are such passionate founders, I think the category that we're in, gin is on fire and it's exciting and people can get passionate and get behind it. It's high growth business. People want to, they they just get carried away with what we're doing. So um, we, we're doing a lot of work with culture at the moment, which is leave it better than you found it. It's, you know, look after your, your, your colleagues and support each other and balanced working. And um, uh, there's, there's there's a huge amount of work going on in the background. What's really interesting is, right, so now we're talking about this and yeah. there's a different energy. It's yeah. really interesting because you you kind of, that passion, there's obviously, because there's no way that you can run a business like this without having all these different facets. Yeah. But that that structure that I can just see now coming through and that the, you're looking at this in a, as you said, the helicopter view of Tina, but yeah. Tina seems to have been, the, 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 the dynamic must work very well. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. The problem when you work with your wife is that you're always going to have disagreements at work. When it's with a work colleague, it's a non-emotional thing. When it's with your wife, 
or, you know, any family member that you're dealing with, you're always more horrible to your family member than you ever would be to, you know, a work colleague or someone in the street. So, yeah, we try not to fall out in front of the team, but just the nature of the business and the pace that we move at. Uh, sometimes we're under live fire making decisions and it can get a bit heated. But we always get to the right answer because we do have a very complementary skill set. And when we do get to decisions, they are very balanced and brilliant for the business. Stay with me for a final chat with my guest there. That's Tom Warner, one of the parents of the, of the, of the, of the, of the Warner business along with his wife, Tina. Plus we'll be playing a track from Miles Davis. That's all coming up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Miles Davis with Freddie Freeloader. I'm with Tom Warner for a little bit more, my passion bomb. You strike me, Tom, as a very down-to-earth guy. You, you're, you've been in the agriculture world for your whole life, whether it's been abroad or here in produce. You're making stuff. Now there's a real business here. We touched on it a bit with structure. Yeah. Does it change the way you think about the world? Do you change the way the fact that you're, you know, you're a guy who's outdoors with his hands in the mud and now suddenly you're overseeing a pretty significant business? Yeah, you've got to be responsible, haven't you? Because you, you, you're you potentially paying up to 50 mortgages kind of thing. So um, it does get a lot scary and the decisions that you have to take as a business, you've got to, it's to, you know, we're in it for the infinite game. Uh, that's what we like to do. So we're not reporting to shareholders. This is about building a brand responsibly and for the future, which means we do what we believe to be very responsible and strategic investments in what we're doing and the markets that we're entering. But yeah, the stakes get higher, don't they? And and the sleepless nights become, uh, um, well, they, they change from at the start, what, what you lose sleep over changes to what you lose sleep over as the business starts to evolve. The, the um, innovation thing's interesting to me because yeah. I think I read somewhere or listened to you sort of saying, listen, we don't do research. What we do is we sit together and go, is it going to be raspberry? Is it going to be rhubarb? We don't think about the trend. We might end up setting a trend, but that's not... And where does that come from? Is it just back to feeling comfortable at the kitchen table going, we're going to mix this, we're going to mix that, see what happens? 100%. Innovation is what's driven the business. So for, for, for us as a brand, from the start, trust your gut and use nature as your inspiration. And, you know, we're farm-born British gin, so we use farm-born British flavours. Uh, and we've done a lot of firsts in the category because we didn't have the blinkers of having previously come from a spirits manufacturer. We did stuff that no one had done before. So... The elderflower gin, my mum came into the kitchen with a bottle of uh, gin that she'd put fresh elderflower into. And this was summer 2012 as we were experimenting with our London Dry. And it blew our mind that, you know, adding additional botanicals post-distillation to give a really big signature flavour cue in the gin and capturing farm-grown British hedgerow flavours. So we launched an elderflower gin summer 2013. Pretty much the first, we believe, you know, flavoured gin great is now combination. This yeah, it's everywhere. Thing, right? The, the Adele cocktail in honour of your mother, Adele, yeah. who died yeah. six years ago. Yeah. Now, and I just want to read it because it's a, it's a, it sounds a, it's lovely that you did this on behalf of your mother in, in honour of your mum. But actually, it just sounds really tasty. Warner's elderflower gin with triple sec, a squeeze of lemon and tonic water, garnished with cucumber and orange. Yeah, I'm kind of going. It's early, but you know. Is it too early to have it? <laughs> it's never, it's, it's always gin o'clock. It's never too early. Yeah. Yeah. Drink responsibly if you're yeah, listening now. Please true. don't do this at the breakfast no table. More than and 14 units per week. And definitely not in front of the children. <laughs> yeah. not, not before midday. Listen, it's, I wish you all the luck in the world. It, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. 
You also, uh, there's a quick thing I want to pick up on before I ask your song choice. You said infinite. This sounds like it's your business in perpetuity. Yeah. Not interested in selling. No, not really. We're, we're, every decision we make, we, yeah, we're plant, we planted last year 6,000 plants, 750 trees on the farm. That's for flavour. So as we get bigger, we are becoming even more authentic. You know, some brands would compromise as they scale. We're actually entrenching ourselves because it does two things. It makes our liquids better because we're using fresh botanicals to make them homegrown fresh flavours, which other people can't uh, replicate. It means we're putting less carbon into the atmosphere from importing stuff. We're using homegrown flavours, and also we're creating biodiversity on the farm. So it's this really sexy feedback loop that's starting to form in the business, which is just phenomenal. Um, We wouldn't be doing that if we were looking to sell, because we would be just maximising profits in the short term to to get a better uh, uh, multiple. It does Um, strike me, I mean, you know, for years and years, I've thought through businesses that responsibility is important it makes sense and any purpose-driven business is apparently 400% more profitable than a non-purpose-driven yeah. one. The farming community has always understood the land is has got to be looked after on For the sure. whole. I mean, I'm smaller farms, bigger farms, yeah. you might get into different things, but it's kind of ironic that it's come now full circle. Everyone's going, we must be sustainable. There you are. You know, you're planting trees. It's great, of course, for the environment, and you don't have to import some, but it's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, Simple. and that's what makes it so sexy. As I said at the start, when you do everything right, you strip it back, focus on quality, you know, and when you do that best ingredient, best process, best equipment, you just end up with this really powerful narrative behind every product. And authenticity is just at the core of everything we do as a business. It's been great talking to you, Tom. Um, thank you. Good luck. And um, I look forward to coming in the summer to the farm. We with, look forward with, to seeing with, you. with the team here. We're going to come along. We've decided just now. Um, just before I let you go, though, what's your song yep. choice and why have you chosen it? So this is uh, Miriam McKemba and it's Patter Patter and we started, first started hearing or listening to Miriam when I worked in East Africa, so nearly 20 years ago actually and got into this vibe and it's just a really happy tune. Miriam McCabe with the absolutely brilliant and uplifting putter putter. Tom Warner, wow, what are you going to say about him? A passion bomb, a proper, absolutely explosively happy, enthusiastic ball of energy that's focused on building this great business. Trust your gut, use nature as your inspiration. I really like that thought in general, not just for a business which is actually predicated on food or on drink. And finally, focus on quality, a critical lesson for anyone in business. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a super week. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.